Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Have you ever noticed that there's a gap between what people believe and what people really believe? Here's what I mean. It seems to me that everybody agrees that eating healthy is the right thing to do. But I've been to the supermarket lately. I've been to the organic section. Well, at least I've been by the organic section. And it seems to me that all of those shelves are completely stocked. And there's very rarely anybody actually shopping in them. You know, right now, if I had to work at a grocery store, I would actually say, put me in the organic section for two reasons. There's not gonna be a lot of stocking and restocking, which means the workload would be light. And then the second reason is nobody's gonna be looking at me and asking me for nutrition advice. Have you ever noticed that there's a difference between what people believe and what they really believe? Uh, For instance, uh, almost everybody believes that it's wise to save for retirement. But just on my way to church today, I don't know how many cars I drove or houses I drove past where the car parked in the driveway looks more expensive than the house that has the driveway. It seems to me that there are people who everybody believes that people who are on Facebook can be ridiculous, but that doesn't keep people from being ridiculous on Facebook. If you've seen somebody be ridiculous on Facebook, put your hand up. Yeah, we've seen it all the time. Everybody believes that everyone should vote. Up until the time that they use that vote to vote for somebody, that you wouldn't vote for. It seems to me that there is a big difference between what people believe and what they actually believe. If you were to go to my in-laws house, there's a picture that has two old men drawn and the caption reads one of them saying to the other, if you're so dang smart, why aren't you rich? There are people that they have all con- their know-it-alls without any real knowledge. They've become experts without any level of experience. And so when we try to move into our relationship with God, we say we believe God, but in actuality, we believe something else. Our faith, our trust, our hope isn't actually found in God. It's in our job in our money, in our family, in our relationships, in our kids. Maybe for some of you older folks, it's in your grandkids. I wanna welcome every single one of you joining in from wherever you're watching from today. If you're at one of our locations where you get to actually hang out with other people, we're excited for you, we're thankful for you. If maybe you don't feel comfortable going to a service yet and you're watching online and you're joining all the rest of us who are watching online, whether you're gathered around a table or whether you're sitting in a living room, I want to welcome you and I am so glad you're here. And today, I just have one question for you. What do you believe? What do you really believe about Jesus? This is not written by some distant historian. As we dive into the book of John, you're going to realize that John was there right in the thick of it. He was not just one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was a member of the inner three. He was the one that Jesus loved. 
He stresses the intimacy of Jesus's ministry way more than his public preaching. It's in John's gospel that he emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. He talks about him being tired, about him sweating, spitting, crying, dying, bleeding. He gives us a special look. And his goal, his goal for his entire book is to get you to believe, to really believe in Jesus. In fact, it's the verb believe and never the noun faith that show up time and time again in John's writings. 95 times in this book alone, in these 21 chapters, do we get the verb believe. It's the entire thrust of his message. Look what it says in John chapter 20. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. There are two words in that text I want you to key off of. These are written so that you may believe, you may believe, and that by you are believing, you may have life in his name. Here's what I'm trying to say. This message is for you. This message is for each and every single one of you. Here's what I mean. Sometimes uh, people will come up to me and they'll say, man, I wish uh, my boyfriend had heard this message or I wish my girlfriend had been here or I wish I had been able to bring my son today or I wish I'd have brought my father with me today. Uh, here's what I'm saying. That's all well and good. That, that's great. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But hear me, this message is for you. In fact, I want every single one of you, no matter where you're at, whether you're in a room with other people watching this, whether you're by yourself, whether you're fully dressed or haven't got dressed at all, I want you just to say, this message is for me. Ready? At all of our locations, wherever you're joining, this message is for me. me. That's exactly right. Here's what I mean. I've got you, rock star people. This, you've been doing church your whole life. You've grown up. You've been baptized. Some of you even get paid to be here. Here's what I'm saying. Ready? This message is for you, not your small group. It's not for the worship team that you're a part of. It's not for the other developed staff that you hang out with. It's not for the other people at your campus. It's not for your wife. It's not for your kid. It's not for the kids you wanna have or the kids you already have or the kids you don't wanna have that you do have. This message is for me. me. That's exactly right. And if we can take this message home, if we can place it in our heart, I believe it can bring about unbelievable change. Of course, of course I wanna see a collective change happen in our church, but that collective change doesn't happen until it becomes personal. I can't expect collective transformation until personal transformation happens. So as we start this journey, this message is for you. If you believe it, put raise your hand. If you believe it, put your name in, or put uh, a heart in the chat or a heart on the screen. Write, um, it's for me in the chat. I want you to fully engage because I believe that God has a message for you. John says that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the very son of God. Well, if we're gonna be asked to believe in him, I think it's only fair that we ask, what kind of savior are we being asked to believe in? Side note, I, I cannot stress this enough. 
it is not too late for you to go on this Bible engagement journey with us. If you go to thecrossing.net slash the cure, all one word, and sign up for the reading plan, at the bottom of the page, you'll get a breakdown of how to listen or read to absolutely every single uh, passage that we're going through. It breaks it out by day, breaks it out by week. There is still time for you to go on the journey. We'll send you an email every Sunday afternoon letting you know what's coming up so that way you can participate it. You, our sermons will be so much better when you've done the reading or the listening in advance. Uh, and if you wanna go even deeper on Wednesday nights at eight o'clock, we're doing a deeper Bible study where you can get even more out of the passage of scripture that we're going through. I've been going on this journey. I'm putting my initial next to every single one of them. You guys, are you going on the journey? Every single one of you, you're going on the journey and we're loving it. And I'm telling you, it's producing incredible fruit. As I was working on this message from my home office, I looked over and I saw my wife reading her Bible curled up on the couch. My daughter uh, Kennedy came home this past week and she spent her 21st birthday with us. I say what you wanna say about our parenting, but when your 21 year old decides to spend her birthday at your house, I think you're winning. I don't know what you did when you were 21, but I'm guessing it wasn't as uh, smart as what she did when she turned 21. Well, she brought her lump of clay with her. She calls him uh, her boyfriend. And <laughs> he hung out with us. And I have never been so thankful for social distancing. Um, to be honest with you, I feel like the guidelines are a little too lax. I think maybe 10 feet would be a, a better move right now. To those of you who are fathers of daughters, you're going, I hope that there's another pandemic in about 10 or 15 years to just buy us some time. I get it. Well, listen, this guy is a baller because for the three days that he was in my house, not once did I walk into the living room and he wasn't reading his Bible. That's a smart offense right there. That's how you get into a preacher's heart, okay? He was going on the journey and I want every single one of you to go on this journey. Now, back, back to the message. What type of Messiah are you being asked to believe in? Well, let me answer that question for you. John says that you're being asked to believe in this kind of Messiah. John starts off his book like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. We're being asked to believe in a Messiah who existed from the beginning. Here's what I mean by that. He was not formed he existed from the very beginning. He wasn't created, he's always been. There's never been a moment in time in which he wasn't present and existing. Here's what I'm saying. He wasn't just uh, there from the very beginning. The Bible says that he, the Messiah who was with God. So he was with God when that happened. God didn't have to catch him up on what had been happening because Jesus had been there, right there with him, co-equal with him from the very beginning, from before the beginning. Uh, he's not just there from the beginning and he's not just with God. John goes on to say that the word was God. We're being asked to believe in a Messiah who is God. He's not dependent on anything. There's nothing that he needs that you and I need. He's above every single one of them. 
You, you see what I mean when I say uh, he doesn't get tired. He doesn't get hungry. He doesn't get thirsty. He never has a lack of energy, strength, or wisdom. There's never a problem that he can't fix. There's never a solution that's too difficult for him to navigate. It's not just that. It's a, a Messiah who made everything. All that has ever been and all that will ever be came from him and through him, and we learn later is held together by him. Here's what I mean. This moment that we are sharing right now is being made possible by Jesus who is holding this entire moment together. His hands are as much a part of this moment as they were in the formation of the world. The Bible says he holds all things together. And it's not just a God who shows up on the scene with the being God and like God and with God. This God actually comes to earth. If you want an interesting exercise, you could take out the word word in the first chapter of John and replace it with Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. But he doesn't just stay up top, he comes down to us. John 1.14 says the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word usage here is he, he tabernacled, he pitched his tent. Here's what I mean by that. When, when Jesus uh, came down, uh, if you go all the way back to Exodus, if you spend any time reading your Bible, which you guys are the kind of people who hopefully read your Bible, but if, in case you're not, when the people were coming out of Egypt, God made a, a mobile home version of a church. It was a church on wheels where they could kind of take church with them wherever they went. And in the middle of that tent, there was a huge tent. In the middle of that tent, there was this place called the Holy of Holies. And God's presence would dwell inside of that tabernacle. And it was curtained off all the way around. And only one person could go in one time a year is this very special place. Well, the picture that they're using in John is that he came and dwelt. He tabernacled. He pitched his tent up in the middle. It would be like Jesus showing up and pulling up a chair and sitting right in the middle of you. We're being asked to believe in a Messiah who actually came to hang out, to go through what you're going through. A God who never tires becomes a savior who does get tired. A God who's never been hungry becomes a God who gets hungry. A God who's never sweat starts to sweat. A God who never bleeds begins to bleed. A God who can't die allows himself to die. He comes and he tabernacles with us. But he brings something with him, something that we kind of like and kind of hate. Here's what I mean by that. He comes full of grace and truth. Oh, now we love the grace part. Who doesn't love grace? Who doesn't like the ability to hit the reset button? Who doesn't like the ability to start over? Who doesn't like the ability to get a second chance? Who doesn't like the ability to get forgiveness? Everybody loves grace, but not everybody likes truth. Not everybody likes being told that what they've believed 
is a lie. Nobody likes coming to the realization about the truth about themselves. You see, grace is interesting and in that it requires truth. Until I come to grips with the truth of who I am, there cannot be grace. If there's no truthful understanding of our shortcomings, there's no proper understanding of grace. So Jesus shows up and he represents a truth that is beyond us, outside of us. He sets the standard instead of us. And when it comes to grace and truth, you and I, we are plagued with hypocrisy. Every single one of us want grace and truth. Every single one of us wants justice until it's us or somebody we love that's in the courtroom. Then we don't want justice. Then we don't want the truth to come out. Then we do want grace. John goes on to keep describing the kind of Messiah that we're being asked to believe in, to really believe in. It's a Messiah who sees me. In John chapter two, Jesus has an interaction with a man named Nathaniel. And as Nathaniel walks up, Jesus begins to tell Nathaniel things about Nathaniel. And Nathaniel goes, how do you know me? And Jesus replied, I saw you under the fig tree. We're being asked to believe in a Messiah who sees us. Jesus didn't pull out his binoculars. He wasn't up in a tree scouting and saw him off in a distant tree. He didn't see him from across the road or from across the park. He saw him from a completely different place. Just like he is able to see you and me right now, right where we are in the middle of what we're in. We're being asked to believe in a Messiah who has never had to look for us because he's always known where we were. And not only does he see us, we're being asked to believe in a Messiah who sees the deepest, darkest, most painful, scariest parts of us. In John chapter four, Jesus comes up on a Samaritan woman. I could barely have enough time to unpack everything that's happened. I wanna just zero in on, on one thing that happens. They begin to have a conversation about getting something to drink and it turns into uh, him talking about living water. And then he tries to talk to her about uh, what's going on in her life and she starts talking to him about where do we worship. But Jesus makes this question, he says, go and get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, you're right in saying you don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. If you and I had a conversation with Jesus face to face, he would reveal absolutely everything about us to us. The things that you and I have kept cordoned off, the things that you and I have hid, the things that you and I have pressed down into the darkest parts of us so it never gets out, Jesus knows all of it. He sees you and he knows you. And yet he still comes anyway. He knows my deepest secrets. He knows the source of my greatest pain. And he says, I'm still coming for you. That's the kind of Messiah we're being asked to believe in. Well, that's how John describes him, but I want you to hear how Jesus describes him. Jesus, or Jesus describes himself. He starts talking and he starts using this phrase, I am. Now, if you're a uh, you know, a history buff and you spend a lot of time in the Old Testament, 
this starts sending off all kinds of alarm bells for you. Well, it would have done the exact same thing to all of the Jews that Jesus was talking with because I am comes with it all kinds of interesting facts. For instance, all the way back in Exodus, we already talked about it a little bit, but Moses was going out, he was shepherding some sheep and all of a sudden he sees a, a bush that's, being, that's burning but not being consumed. He goes over to it and he starts having a conversation with God in a bush that's burning that won't burn up. I don't even have time to touch that one, but that's a loaded sentence, right? Here's what happens. God tells Moses, I want you to go and deliver the people from slavery in Egypt. Well, while that's happening, Moses is like, well, okay, I'll go, but who do I tell the people is sending me? I'm gonna have to stand in front of Pharaoh and I'm gonna have to stand in front of all these Israelites and say, hey guys, I'm your leader now and we're leaving. Who do I say sent me? Give me a name. And God gives a name. He says, I am that I am. Tell them, I am is sending you. So Jesus in the book of John, while he's hanging out with Jewish people, that the moment they heard that, it would be like you and me hearing, I have a dream. Or four score and seven years ago. You can't hear those things and not hear all of the history attached to it. But Jesus isn't quoting somebody else. Jesus is taking ownership of God's placement in that moment. He's saying, I am. Well, here are the I am's that he uses. He starts off by saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What that means is that if, if you believe in God, you really believe in God and not in something else, that he becomes your source of, sus of sustenance. If you just believe in God, but you really believe in something else, you're gonna find yourself spiritually malnourished and parched. Eventually, it'll let you down. Eventually, the storm is gonna hit you. Your foundation's gonna erode underneath you. But with Jesus, you find everlasting sustenance. He doesn't stop there. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus shows up and says, I am the light to those who are tired of living in the dark so that their deeds are not made public. He's saying, I am the light to those of you who have been hiding out in the dark for fear that one of these days you might be found out. To those of you who are weary of stumbling through life in the darkness, thinking that you have it all figured out, Jesus comes along and says, I am the light. I don't know if you're like me, but for some reason, I become really cheap late at night. I wake up and I never turn the light switch on. I just try to make my way wherever I'm going by keeping all of the lights off. We don't have a problem leaving all the lights on when it's light out, but apparently when it's dark out, we try to keep the lights off. And I wonder if you're like me, that you think you have a perfect map of your house and that you know how many steps you need to take before you take a turn and how far you need to reach out and down before you grab the doorknob. And you know what I've noticed? Even though I think I have a pretty good understanding of what's happening around me, it's never perfect. Next thing I know, there's a stub toe, there's a muffled word that Jesus had to pay a serious price for. Have you been there? The kids that you weren't, you know, that you thought had taken all their stuff up ended up leaving the thing right in your path. The cup that you didn't know was there that is still full of whatever beverage somebody was drinking in your house now gets knocked over and now you have a stain on the carpet. Jesus shows up and says, I am the light. 
he illuminates. He gives us the ability to see not just the things that are in front of us, not just the things that might be happening to us. You see, light gives us protection. Uh, any dad of daughters knows that when she goes to park somewhere, you all, especially if she's gonna be coming home at night, you have her park next to the light because the thieves aren't gonna come into a well-lit place. We protect ourselves by being in the light. Jesus shows up, he's the light, and he becomes our protection. Jesus isn't just that, he says, I'm the gate. I am the gate for the sheep. And the people who are part of inside of Jesus' gate, they get security, they get protection, and then he goes on to tell them that they will find pasture, that they will find nourishment, that when you are in a relationship with Jesus, he doesn't just protect, for you, protect you, but he also provides for you. But you don't get this unless you believe, unless you really believe in Jesus. He goes on to say this in John 10, the thief comes to only to, to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You have an enemy. He's trying to find a way into your life. He's trying to pull you down, cut you off, and end your existence. And when you go through the gate of Jesus, you find that safety, protection, and security. But check this out. He says, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Here's what I mean by that. There is a life that is waiting for you, that exists for you, that you cannot access unless you believe in him, that you cannot be all you were created to be. You can't be all that you were intended to be. You can't do all the things that God pre-wrote for you to be able to do until you are in life with him, that there is this life here, but if this life isn't in him, it's not the life you were destined for. It means it's the life that you could have in him is more beautiful than you could possibly imagine because he says it's to the fullest. It's overflowing. You guys have heard me talk about this before. It's when you fill up the Coke all the way to where it comes up the straw hole, like abundantly overflowing. He didn't come to reduce your life. He came to enhance it, to make it better than you could possibly imagine. But you can't access that life unless you believe in him. He didn't come to take things away from you other than your sin. He came to give things to you that you never thought possible, and he's still not done. He's got so much more in store for us. He says this, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd uh, and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay my life down for the sheep. The Messiah that you're being asked to believe in is different than everybody else in your life. In the time of your greatest need, you've been let down, abandoned and forgotten. The house that you thought was your provision becomes a boat anchor. The relationship you thought was meant to be left you stranded and alone. The kids that you thought would take care of you, you now spend more time taking care of them. And you find out at the worst possible time that your faith was in a hireling. 
and not a king. And not just any king. A king who comes, pay attention to this, a king who comes to lay his life down for you. He's not gonna run from you. He's not gonna abandon you. He's not gonna peel out on you. He is in it with you to his very end. I wonder how many of us have become so frustrated at God for the things that we've placed our faith in when our faith was not placed in him. We place our faith in the bad relationship and then we blame God for the bad relationship. We get mad at God for what happened to our job, even though God wasn't the one who told you to place your faith in the job. He said, place your faith in him. And you're never gonna find out how bad you are and how worse off you are than when the storms actually come and then you find out that your faith is in the wrong place and at that point, it's too late. When Jesus comes back, you're not gonna get an opportunity to place your faith in him then because at that point in time, your faith will be sight. But right now, we believe even though we don't see. We believe we really believe. Jesus goes on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I could unpack that one, but I'm just gonna keep going. There's another one for you. This is what he says at the very end. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. A Messiah who produces in me things I could not produce in myself. A Messiah who brings out of me things that were not there. A Messiah who makes something out of me that I never could have done on my own. A Messiah who says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This gets echoed in John chapter three. This is the verse that I want you guys to memorize. John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Hear me, this is just like the gate. If you wanna to get to the Father, you have to go through the Son. When you and I stand before God, we don't get to stand there and go, well, God, look at my grandkids, or God, look at the job title I had, or God, look at the money that I made, or look at the house that I lived in, or look at the relationships that I had. The only relationship that counts when you stand before God is whether or not you had a relationship with Jesus. And the currency of heaven is belief, it's faith. So for you to be able to say, I have believed, I really believe in Jesus. That is how you and I get into heaven. There's no other way in. There's no other gate. There's no other door. There's no other path. All path, the only path that you and I can walk is the path that Jesus leads us on. It's the only way to get into heaven. We start learning all of these I am's as Jesus starts unpacking them. But those I am's are not just a reflection on Jesus, they are a reflection on me. Because of I am, because of Jesus, I'm different. Because of I am, I'm no longer condemned. 
Because of I am, I don't have to stay in darkness anymore. Because of I am, I'm no longer spiritually hungry or thirsty. Because of I am, I am guided into all truth. I've crossed over. Because of I am, I've crossed over from death to life. Death is no longer my destiny. I will be raised up at the last day. Because of I am, I am written down in the Lamb's book of life. Because of I am, I've been set free. The Bible says if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I have been made new through him because of the I am, I am new. The old me can't contain the new me. You can't put old wine in new wine skins and you can't put new wine in old wine skins. The thing that God wants to do in me and the thing that God wants to do in you and the very same thing that he wants to do in you can't be contained in the old you. So he not only makes you new, but he is making you new so you can be all that he created you to be. But listen, he can't do that in the old you. That's why he makes you new. Because of I am, I am made new. But that's not just a promise for me. That's a promise for you and for every single one of you. It goes, it gets better than that. Because of I am, I'm forgiven. Because of I am, I'm a child of God. I'm not a servant in the house of the Lord. I'm a child of God. Even though I ran from him, even though I blew my inheritance, when I came to my senses, and I came back to him and said, I don't deserve anything. He put a ring on my finger. He put a robe on my back. He killed the fattened calf in heaven through a party when I said it was time for me to get baptized. Because of him, I'm a child of God. Because of him, I am in the light. Not only am I in the light, I have a light. Not only does he illuminate my path, but I have the ability to illuminate the path of others. What he says about me, And what he says about you is that you are the light of the world. You're a lamp that's taken out and put on a stand, that you give light to everybody else around you. Because of I am, I am the light. Because of I am, I have eternal life. Because of I am, I have a good shepherd who doesn't abandon me when life gets tough, doesn't leave me when challenges arise. He's in it to in it to win it with me to the very end. Because of I am, I'm in the Father's hand. Well, what's so special about the Father's hand, you ask? I'll tell you. Because nobody, nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. When you're in his hand, there's no safer place. There's no secure place. There's no more loving place. Because I didn't get there on my own, I didn't get there because of the right things that I had done. I got there and you get there and you get there. When you believe in Jesus, you are placed in the Father's hands and no one can take you out. Now you can walk away from it, you can leave it, but you don't have to if you don't want to. You can stay in the Father's hand and no one can take you from it. But that's not all that he does. Because of I am, I have a place that's being prepared for me. A place that's being built right now. A place with my name on it. A place with many rooms. There's plenty of room for me and there's plenty of room for you. Because of I am, I have the ability to bear much fruit. Fruit that was impossible for me to produce on my own. Fruit that was impossible for me to do by myself. But he comes alongside and he produces it in me and he can produce it in you. Uh, Here's what I'm saying. Because of I am, even when I have troubles, troubles of many kinds, I can have confidence. Because of I am, I have confidence. Because I am has overcome the world. And I am with 
him. You can have that hope. You can cling to that hope if you believe, if you really believe. And that's the question I wanna ask you today. Do you believe? Do you really believe? We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.